At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella, the world messenger here on another epic episode of the Legacy Leader Show. And I am super thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, another wonderful human being specifically that is moving and, and disrupting and changing so many industries at once. And I've nothing better to highlight her during the month of March for all of her accomplishments and exponential achievements that are marking not only what women are capable of, but also where things are going and how we're going to be pretty soon future thinking, future focused, and before we know it, living that future. Without further ado, I would like to invite you to hear from Panam Bagley. She is a TED speaker. She is innovator. She is a co-founder and owner of Nonfiction, which she will tell us a little bit more about what they do. And then also, obviously, futuristic designer, architect, and she is dabbling right now in aerospace. Oh my goodness, what else is there? So much more. She's contributing also to uh, so many um, companies and magazines and whatnot. And her footprint in digital world is uh, phenomenal. So without further ado, Panam, welcome. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me, Isabella. Um, I remember that we met uh, on Clubhouse uh, a couple of years ago in the midst of the pandemic, and we kept in touch, and it's wonderful to be speaking to you today. Likewise, and I remember when we could just hear our voices and when we felt like it's end of the world and a lot of people were panicking, your calm presence and share and such a different perspective not only gave so much fuel and energy to me, but others uh, that we have so much exponential power within ourselves to make um, impact and difference. And you definitely continue to do that. So first of all, Panam, how did you get to be so focused, uh, future focused and, and so focused on disrupting industries and specifically aerospace that is so challenging and difficult to do? Well, I think um, I, since I was a kid, I've always been the one who stands out and that never really bothered me, right? Like right now, um, you know, I'm walking around with my blue hair and uh, my strange clothes and, uh, and it's, you know, fitting in has never been a, a life goal for me, even as, as a child, you know, there was a time where I could like wear Harajuku style clothing and, you know, and, uh, and I was always very curious. I think uh, that sense of curiosity of looking up to the sky uh, at night and seeing the, the infinity of the universe and seeing everything in perspective uh, kind of helped me do that, right? I remember the first money I ever made, you know, probably illegally, um, uh, when I was like 15, the first thing that I bought was, was a small telescope because, you know, as a teenager growing up outside of Paris, that was the most important thing I could get myself. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, so always this travel in space and time has been, has been very important to me, which is why I always loved history. I always loved, um, you know, the crafts of the past and the visions of the future. Uh, I love, um, you know, the culture and traditions uh, of different parts of the world, which is why I, I tend to travel internationally quite often. You know, discovering places where people don't live like me, people don't speak like me, people don't think like me, uh, opens my mind to uh, a beautiful future that I want to believe in. I love that. And I can just imagine you're as a little girl, a girl in Paris, which also, as a lot of people that did not have had a chance to travel or see yet, has this amazing history and beauty, but also has a, this very contrasting um, aspects of the culture and subcultures and from arts to music and everything else. Um, so that creativity is just amazing. And I'm so glad how you said how you stand out always and felt comfortable with that because so many people would love to do what you were freely able to do, not only how you convey your message, but also how you live your life. And do you mind sharing, what would you recommend for people like that are struggling with that? Because it is a um, great way to see someone living authentically and being and doing things authentically in a way that you do. I think the first, first and most difficult part to do is to be comfortable with changing. So when you find your style, when you find your stance in life, when you find your voice, you're not going to find that the first time around. You're going to try things. You're going to probably emulate something that you see. You're going to combine things that you like. And then over time, you will refine it to a point where you feel like it's in alignment with your authentic self. And that is what, what I've done, right? If I look back at certain haircuts that I had or certain styles that I had or certain ways of speaking that I had, I probably would you know, hide in a hole uh, because it was pretty terrible. But uh, I accept them as necessary for me to be where I am today. So... Uh, that is the, the advice I would give. Try things out until things feel right. And you will know when they feel right. Mm. And now you are trailblazing in so many ways. Obviously, creating nonfiction and turning science fiction into reality. I mean, just that alone is uh, so much in that beautiful statement. And do you mind how this became about? And then what are you disrupting? What are you currently doing to make a tremendous impact globally? Sure. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about you know how I fell into design. Um, I was never someone who understood what design was, if if it even existed. Um, you know, I, I went to school, I was pretty nerdy, I like math and you know physics and things like that. And I was probably destined to become an engineer of sorts. And then um, when I finished high school, um, I went to this job fair that uh, displayed some designers, specifically industrial designers. I'd never heard of that practice before and realized that everything around us that is not a building is designed by an industrial designer, right? From your computer, to your phone, to your shoes, to your eyewear, to your uh, headphones, everything. And so um, 
And the school that was presenting their work in particular was a car design school. That's what they were woman for at the, at the time. So I was seeing all these like very incredible drawings of uh, futuristic, you know, four wheeled machines. And, and I was like, well, I know nothing about this field, but how about I sign up? And so I signed up and I, um, I got accepted and I, I studied it and I did pretty well. And, uh, and, it, and it got me to, to, you know, to a place where I could get a degree. And the third year, third out of five year uh, process of studying industrial design, my school opened a new department of space design. And so it was designed for, um, for you know, space environment, space habitat, microgravity, and things like this. And of course, I was the first one to sign up. And of course, <laughs> I studied that. Um, and, uh, and I really fell in love with it because there was a lot of alignment. There was always something quite extreme about the way I lived my life. I like to see uh, what is on the other side of the uncomfortable, you know, the extreme of fashion, the extreme of, of, of thought um, and philosophy. And, and I thought that space was a good place for me to explore that extreme. And so I really thrived in that, um, graduated uh, with a project, you know, designing habitats on the surface of Mars. And then just before I graduated from that school in France, I was invited to study space architecture at the University of Houston. Um, and so I was invited to do that. I, I came to the US and studied that. And yeah, that was almost 20 years ago, back in a day, when, uh, when the commercial space industry was really in its early stages and uh, the space industry as a whole was not really dynamic. Um, and then thankfully in the last you know, 10, 15 years, as we can see all over LinkedIn and, and the social media and the press, there's a lot of investment, there's a lot of innovation, there's a lot of excitement happening in the world of entrepreneurism and in uh, the commercial space industry that is supporting, you know, government um, kind of based uh, projects like NASA, ESA, JAXA, etc. And so, so yeah, so so all of this led to a career in both designing products uh, of everyday life. And, um, and then thinking in the background how I could apply all of that knowledge to, uh, to the space industry. Because I see a lot of parallels between both worlds, the, way, the world that we live on this planet and the, the world we live in space, right? We, we still eat, we still sleep, we still work, we still you know, have relationships, we still think about our mental, physical, and emotional health. You know, the, and, and then, Historically, the space industry has really been focused on STEM, on function, you know, on getting people up there and getting them back alive. But to me, that had never been enough, right? Really the human unrefined aspect of sending, you know, bags of bones with emotions up in space was, was a lot more than that. And I really wanted to, to explore that. And then, um, so in 2018, I actually went to a, uh, a how would you call that, a seminar, four-day seminar um, with people from all of the planets. I think there were people from about 60, 70 countries. And then we went through these workshops of personal and professional development. There were some keynotes, there were some, um, you know, kind of like 
exercises and emotional intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. And then one of the exercises that we went through really had an impact on me was basically the idea of finding your life purpose. So I went the first year, 2018, and I really observed how everybody was at the same time discovering their own life purpose. And, and I was not in a place where I could find it quite yet. So I was an observer the first year. And then I, I left that seminar and then um, really thought about it all year long you know, kind of ruminating and really trying to think, you know, what is that one sentence that really is the essence of who I am and what I want to be and what I want to do in my life. And, and then come the next year, I signed up for the same seminar. And at that point, I still didn't find my, my life purpose. But when we went through that same exercise, it clicked. That's mm. when I found turning science fiction into reality for a better future. And then I kid you not, since then, everything in my life, from my personal life, to my professional life, to my friends, to my you know, old relationships, everything aligned with these words. Every, every, every business opportunity, every conversation was just in, in, in pure alignment uh, with that. And it feels very good to feel seen in the universe and to see that that crazy idea that I have that is very much me is actually not so crazy after all. That is beautiful. Such an amazing journey. And a lot of times, as people say, we pay attention to what is trending or how they should fit versus to go within as you did in your journey and from within creating out outer and, and of course, as a result, attracting the right tribe, right people, scientists, creatives, people that are really questioning and challenging old paradigms, old theories, and, and just seeing this amazing bloom and beauty that is unfolding you know, since I know you in, in the last few years, which is unbelievable. So with that in mind, obviously you created this company and now you're doing something remarkable. I had a chance to see last week your fantastic new TED Talk that really brought so much in perspective because how much we don't think about things um, that your TED Talk addressed. And, and as you mentioned earlier, astronauts and people in space and they're going further and more uh, distances and they're going to be further and further removed from earth and it's going to take a longer cycle for them to get back what do they do while they're on that journey and how you can help them and you're doing something really really cool and also extremely rewarding so do you mind share a little bit so that others can go and watch your uh, TED talk but also get a sense of how is important to disrupt and how much is there to disrupt at this current time Absolutely. Um, so the origin of the project that I'm presenting in the TED Talk is actually a competition that was put together by NASA, the Canadian, Canadian Space Agency and Methuselah Foundation. Uh, so I think they, they brought it up about two years ago in 2021. And essentially the premise of the competition is how are we going to feed astronauts who are going on a deep space mission? And here I'm, I'm giving the, the example of Mars, uh, which is you know, the next big destination that we have beyond, beyond the moon. Um, going to Mars is gonna take between two and a half and three years. So imagine being stuck wow. in a tin can 
um, you know, half of the time you're floating in microgravity, the other half you're on the surface of Mars, uh, experiencing one third of Earth's gravity. And then you're isolated, you're hanging out with the same five, six people, uh, you're working all day long, you're maintaining the ship to make sure that, you know, nothing goes wrong. And we do the things that we do every day. As I said earlier, we eat, we sleep, we work, we heal ourselves, we you know, maintain our health, uh, we work out. All the things that we do on earth, but you know, in environments that are quite extreme and not necessarily um, designed to, uh, to align with what we need, right? You know, going, going, to, going to the moon is just a matter of days. Uh, going to aboard the ISS, International Space Station right now, usually people go up there for about six months, which is quite a long time. But here we're, we're talking about lengths of isolation and exposure to radiation and living in microgravity for, for years. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of aspects of the design of all these rockets that is just not uh, updated enough for us to, to even believe that we can go to Mars in a healthy way. So that competition was focused on food specifically. And food is more than just sustenance, right? Uh, right now, the astronauts have access to about like three types of food. They have ready to eat food, you know, things in cans or, or you know, prepackaged and things like that, so usually branded food. And then they have access to freeze-dried food, which they rehydrate with essentially recycled water. Uh, aboard the ISS, which, you know, uh, is a wide variety of food. There's like meats and vegetables and, and starches and things like that. Um, but, but usually these are prepackaged, you know, years in advance. And, uh, and the menu is, uh, is, is kind of like designed by, by probably nutritionists that, um, that make sure that the, the you know, the, the food is adequate for, for the kind of mission that they're going for. And the third kind of food, which is only available for, you know, um, close destination, like uh, the ISS, is uh, resupply food, which is fresh food that can be sent uh, aboard rockets. And here you can find like fresh fruits and vegetables and, and things with different textures. So when we think about going pretty far in space, we can't afford resupply, right? There's not a small little rocket full of like apples and oranges that's going to follow you uh, just for fun. Um, and, and eating freeze-dried food is, has got to get you know, pretty, uh, pretty tiring after a while. So, so what we wanna do is to give access to a kind of like a farm to table kitchen to these astronauts, you know, having them grow some fresh greens, uh, grow some microalgae micro uh, so they can uh, make some nutritious snacks with it, um, uh, different, different types of ingredients they can mix with them, like, you know, like oats and peanut butter and powdered berries and spices. Um, we also uh, give them access to space barbecue uh, and you have to watch the TED talk to see how we do that. <laughs> and, uh, and also, you know, like, you know, in the morning, you know, we like, we like a creamy tea, coffee type of, uh, type of beverage to really comfort us and wake us up slowly. And uh, here in the video, we actually show you how, how it's possible uh, mechanically. So, so yeah, so, so it's really opening people's imagination about the future of food for astronauts that are going on long-term missions in a way that really says, 
we're not going to plan everything for you. You're going to be in charge of what you put in your mouth, of the flavors that you like, of what you feel like that day. Really give them the agency and the freedom to do the things that they want to do. And that's one shift in thinking that we would like to kind of like expand to every life support systems aboard a spaceship. Mm, that is so powerful. And thank you for explaining that, um, because obviously when we put things in perspective and times and, and distances and sacrifice and also, of course, ensuring well-being, because it's very taxing emotionally on someone, as you just said, to be so long and on this confined space, um, how all of this will play out and giving them also something to look forward to it and, and be able to sustain in a better ways. Uh, it's just mind boggling. So are you, uh, how, how this competition went? What were the results? And I, I mean, obviously you had this amazing TED talk. Again, everybody, you're gonna get a link and you have to see it. But I'm curious, uh, what are the next steps and, and, and when do you guys can really start creating and producing something? Yeah, so uh, we won phase one, which was the conceptual phase of Yay! the competition. Yay! But unfortunately, we learned that we, we didn't go through phase two. Uh, I think it had to, a lot to do with the fact that we self-funded everything and really focused on the experience and the design. Whereas I believe that the organizers of the competitions were really focused on a little bit more of the science and, uh, and the scalability of the, of the project. But even though we didn't go through phase two, we're actually continuing to mm -hmm. develop this concept because it's been really good to us. We've learned so many things. It's opened the doors to us, to the space industry in ways that were very, uh, very unconventional. And through phase two, we actually built a functional prototype, one-to-one uh, -one scale. So in our office, when you walk in, there's like this like one-to-one -one scale, you know, mock-up of the spaceship, which is pretty cool. You know, one thing that's uh, uh, about the machine that's that's been pretty hard to do is to to grow microalgae to maintain them uh, living. And thankfully, we have um, people on our on our team that have been very resilient and trying batch after batch after batch of microalgae. And finally, we've been able to maintain a culture for about six months straight. So uh, yeah, it's our job is not only design, right? It's, it's some biology, it's some trial and error, it's some like research and figure out what works and what doesn't. But in the end, because we're designers, we're experiential. So we, we try things out until they stick and then we, we hold on to that idea and move forward with it. So, uh, so yeah, actually, at the end of this month, month of March 2023, uh, CNN is actually going to do a special on this project. Um, so, so getting a lot of press, and uh, and it's pretty exciting. Uh, one thing that's actually pretty good about not going forward with the competition is that now we have the freedom to do whatever we want with this project, right? We want to push it as far as we can, and really as I said, expand that idea of agency and freedom and, and, and culture, local culture uh, to all aspects of life. We wanna do it for, for the way people rest, the way people entertain themselves, they play, the way they work, the way they heal themselves. Um, and, and that's just the beginning. I love it. And in a way they say always things work out the best ways or they're meant to be. 
And I know knowing you and your drive and your passion from this is going to come so much more and it already is. And I just love how you're now expanding that futuristic way of thinking, how you guys lead and then how you're carving the path forward. I cannot wait to see how it's going to impact even us on the earth. Uh, and we so desperately need adjustment and change as we're seeing plethora of issues, right? And instead of focusing on negative, what I really could are you and your team, how much you guys are focusing on, how can we change the script? How can we come up with a different story and different outcome? And, and that's very much related to my path, you know, my professional path is I've always tried to look for what am I doing and why am I doing it, right? And one of the big themes of 2022 and 2023 uh, at Nonfiction, the company that I run is, you know, what is the relationship between what we do and space, for example? And, and we realized that we were actually uh, quite experts at creating this cycle between earth and space, where we take technology that we develop on earth, you know, in the medical industry, health, wellness, uh, education, uh, robotics, transportation, and we bring all of that knowledge to the world of space by just adapting to different extreme environments. And then all of the innovation that was developing in space, the food systems that I just talked about, the way we sleep, the way we interact and work with each other, we bring them back to earth um, in order to serve the people who don't, are not finding solutions um, today in, in what is offered to them, right? People living in, um, in very remote places, people uh, living in different types of extreme environment, people who are not finding relief in mental health uh, from the, the typical solutions that you see out there. So, uh, so yeah, so our company, in the last couple of years has specialized in that. What is the cycle of earth to space and space to earth that creates a sustainable future? Wow, that is unbelievable again. And, and, and people don't realize how near future is truly really near, right? And how much need for this disruptive ways of being and doing it's necessary because we cannot continue self-sustaining it's just being sustainable even what we're doing currently on the planet earth. And how also so close the futuristic thinking that we thought as the kids, it's hundreds and thousands of years later after us that some space um, um, integration will happen. And it actually it's happening faster than it's being projected. So do you mind speaking a little bit about what do you see? What do we have to do consciously more intentionally on planet Earth? But also how close it is that future of space uh, that is going to interact with us and and then what we need to consciously think about and prepare for. Yeah, I think a lot of what needs to happen on earth is people, especially coming out of a pandemic, people need to start with themselves. I think understanding what your, your, your boundaries are, what you're good at, what uh, triggers your, your, your productivity, uh, your proactivity, your curiosity, your, your creativity is, is where everything needs to start. And then from there, uh, encourage people to, you know, reach out and not only stay in the field of expertise that they have, you know, the whatever uh, major that they took in college and whatever career they've set themselves to do, really reach out to all of these 
other disciplines that uh, move uh, in the peripheral uh, of, of where we are and really see the opportunity there because that's really where I see a lot of uh, opportunity, especially, you know, I like to see to, 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 to see it as the difference between the 20th century jobs and the 21st century jobs. 20th century jobs were very much limited, right? You, you stayed in your lane and you're, you know, if you were an engineer, you just had engineering conversations with other engineers and with your superiors and same thing with scientists. But now we have scientists talking to business people, talking to engineers, talking to designers, talking to artists, talking to educators. And we see a lot of very interesting, um, you know, new ideas coming from there, new types of businesses, new needs that we were not aware of before. And so uh, really thinking about the transdisciplinary um, you know, aspect of everything, life, education, and the way we see ourselves. And in the future, you know, space, a lot of people rightfully probably think that space is very far and is very elitist, right? Like right now you see, uh, professional astronauts, you know, ex-military, multiple PhDs, super smart people, and you see a handful of, um, you know, billionaires going up there, and you see another handful of people who have been uh, selected to, to experience space for, for a few hours or a few days. But then the, the future of space is a lot closer for all of us than everybody thinks, right? I was on this panel one time and this woman was, uh, who, who runs a fund um, in the space industry was, was saying that in 12 to 15 years, uh, families will have the choice between going to Disneyland or to space, wow. right? That, that's basically tomorrow, right? And wow. obviously we're not gonna go up in like dangerous rockets or anything like this. It's more gonna be in the form of balloons. I mean, I'm saying that, but I may not be right. But like the, the shape of balloons, uh, where you go up very slowly and you go down very slowly, um, there's a company called Space Perspectives that's that is offering that already. Um, so so really, the, the the future of space is closer than we think. And I'd like to remind everyone that 100 years ago, in 1923, if you go if you went around and tell people and told people 100 years from now, it's going to be very common for people to fly from one country to another. Uh, they would think you'd be crazy, right? And so the same thing is going to happen even closer, not even a hundred years from now, probably 50 years from now, where it's probably going to be fairly common uh, for people to go to space. But it's not only going to space for the fun of it. I'm sure it's very fun for a few hours or maybe a few days um, or for you know tourism or entertainment, but they're also uh, a push for all industries to have a foot in space in the next decade or so, right? The education, um, you know, if you want to call that an industry, education, you know, you have uni universities on this planet that are doing a lot of fantastic experiments in biotech and in physics and in, in robotics on earth. And they would like to know what happens when you remove uh, gravity from these experiments. So perhaps there could be some twin experiments going on. Right? There are certain things that happen in space that we, we don't know why they happen. Right? Uh, I learned recently that um, chemotherapy in mice is more effective in microgravity than on the surface of Earth. We still don't really know why, and wow. we sure would like to know how. Right? And, um, 
And same thing for the arts, you know, what does it mean to be away from earth and really expressing the deep humanity that we have in each of us? Uh, same thing for designers, you know, how do we create um, living environments or, or industries up there that are relevant to the future of the space industry, but also the future of how people live on earth? So there's, so there's so much potential in every single industry to blossom. Um, and of course, it's going to start with, you know, the entrepreneurs uh, doing like small projects and then, you know, the big companies coming in and scaling the whole thing. But, you know, coming back to the moon and settling there for good, um, reaching Mars at some point and seeing how we can live in extreme environments, uh, living, um, you know, on, in free space, either on orbit or, you know, different, different places in the, in the solar system is going to teach us a lot about how we're going to live sustainable lives because even in the, in, in the far future, we still won't you know, have the freedom to, to send whatever we like from Earth, right? Earth has very limited resources. We need to be very clever and use um, the local resources of water, of you know, gases and, and solids on these different planets and celestial bodies and use energy as well that is, uh, that is very effective, right? The effectiveness of um, solar cells, for example, above the Earth's atmosphere is a lot higher than below it. And there's been, a, a, for example, a concept that's been out since the 1960s that says that if you have an array of solar uh, satellites, solar panel satellites all around Earth, you can actually have them collect a lot of energy and then use that energy to be, uh, you can beam down that energy down to earth and make it accessible to many, many people on this planet for a fraction of the cost of electricity today. So, so yeah, this, the, the space economy is healthy and is going to get healthier year after year for sure. Wow, it's such a powerful to think about in those um, ways when you just said that uh, that's space economy it's real thing and it exists and is going to really make a huge in, in, impact and change and i know I, I was really shocked recently when i talked to and they're like space attorneys already and they're like working on specific deals and i'm thinking how abstract is that or like who they're negotiating deals with and and how do you divide something that is so exponential right but really start putting and bringing everything to in perspective because we 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 are explorers by nature we want we crave different and we crave crave new right and and then you're definitely in front front of that not only with how you live your life on daily basis here, but also how you transforming education piece as well, and how we're looking at these complex um, topics and issues in a ways that are broken down, easy to observe, and also partake in it. And right now, do you mind sharing what do you see some great opportunities for people to put in perspective if they're fascinated about some things um, how could they can best apply themselves and what will be some ways for you uh, based on breaking through that stigma or stereotypes or an old way of thinking? What would be some suggestions for creatives to really tap into more into their creative power and apply themselves? I think communication and storytelling is at the source of it, right? You don't walk in a room with all the colors of the rainbow and say, 
I know what I'm doing, just listen to me because nobody will, right? But meeting people, you know, where they are, you know, whether they're scientists or engineers or administrators or lawyers, space lawyers or anybody and really understanding what is our common ground? Where do we see the future of any industry, the space industry, education, robotics, whatever it is, and, and see how creatives can support the story and then carry it even further, right? Because when, when I work with a lot of scientists, they, you know, they're very focused on what they do and they're very good at it, but they don't necessarily see the potential of how it can change people's lives. And that's where designers come in. We have you know, this innate sense of empathy and compassion that says, well, in order to reach you know, 10 million people instead of just 10 people, we need to do these things. You know, we need yes. to make the product attainable. We need to uh, make many of them. We need to advertise it. We need to make it easy to use. We need to make it beautiful. We need to make it all those things. So, um, so that's part of storytelling is, and, and educating is so incredibly important for us to take on. And that's one of the reasons why um, you know, uh, my, my partner and I and, and the rest of our team at Nonfiction have been producing videos to, uh, to kind of explain all of this, right? There are many aspects to design that people are not aware of. A lot of people think that design is just aesthetics. Now, aesthetics is very important to us, but we also care about function and we also care about value, value to the people we're designing it mm -hmm. for, value to the planets, value to the future, right? Um, and so, so really merging all of these ways of thinking, these methodologies, and making them transparently available to everyone, writing our episodes in layman's terms. So, you know, someone who's studying business or someone who's a veteran in science can understand what we say. So again, we meet them halfway and we say, what is the genius thing you've been working on and how can we transform that into something that can touch as many people as possible. Wow. And that is amazing legacy to be built because you are one of the great people who is not only living your legacy, but it's also leading with it and influencing and impacting others to step up and transform their leadership and be more bold and daring uh, as well as also helping others to find that path. And of course, living amazing legacy. So we are here on Legacy Leader Show. And I'm curious, with everything you already accomplished, which is so exponential, what is left in the bucket list? And what would you like your legacy to be known for? Oh, I, I've, I've, I've actually never really thought about that. Um, because I kind of live my life day to day. I mean, sure, I have some some goals, you know, a few months from now, but um, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, whatever I do, I always try to have fun along the way, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, there are some days I work too much, and of course, there are some challenges that don't go the way I want to go. But that's life, right? Regardless of how ambitious or non-ambitious your life is, you're gonna go through these things. So might as well have fun with it. Um, but I think I want to continue having a balance between my, my personal life, you know, my health, my relationships, and uh, my achievements, you know, making sure that there's a balance between them. Otherwise, I would start 
you know, burning out or, or going through a phase that's, uh, that is not so, so pleasant and would last longer than I want it to last. But, um, but in terms of like what we want to do now is, you know, grow our company and reach more ambitious projects, uh, the infinitely large and the infinitely small. And I want to be able to, to create a legacy where, where people, you know, look at my career and my life and say, well, she, she, she had fun. And then she took different aspects of life and then combined them together in a way that was amazingly, you know, meaningful and beautiful and impactful. And then um, gave these tools for free to everybody, right? That's like, I'm not, I'm not someone who's like very um, secretive about the way that I do things. Uh, I'm also very honest. Uh, that's one thing about French people. Uh, if, you, if you know many of them, we, we don't really sugarcoat the way we think. Um, and I think, you know, that sense of honesty is the kind of legacy I want to leave behind. And then after, after I'm, I'm done with my design, uh, design career, because I, I don't think I'm going to design my, my entire life, um, I want to start perhaps investing in, um, in others, uh, investing in companies, investing in, in wonderful ideas that... Um, that can become, you know, these impactful uh, uh, futures. Um, there's a there's a company uh, based in Singapore. Uh, we work, we've been working with them for years called Mistletoe, and it's headed by uh, this gentleman named Taizo San, wonderful man. Uh, he's actually the younger brother of Masayoshi San, the uh, uh, the CEO of SoftBank. But anyway, Taizo is someone who's made his money, right? billionaire and all that. But then he realized that, you know, what he really wanted out of life is to take all of that knowledge, all of that connection, all of that money, and then pour it into the future. And so he's investing in 100%, you know, future building companies from educations, uh, you know, after school programs for kids who are curious and want to uh, develop entre entrepreneurial skills. Uh, and build with the hands. Um, and he's also investing in like, you know, uh, vertical farming, in energy, in the future of materials, the future of recycling, the future of um, uh, collecting plastic from the ocean. You know, that's, that's the kind of future I see myself having if, you know, I reach a point where I'm extremely successful at some point. Uh, that, that is something that I think more of us should have access to. I think a lot about, um, you know, what people do once they, they become quote unquote, very rich all of a sudden, right? Do you go on a long vacation and then recuperate from working too hard? Or do you go into this, you know, third life crisis where you're like, okay, I've, I've made it. What do I do now? Is it time for me to dedicate the rest of my life to serving others with the wisdom that I've built? And uh, maybe there should be a program out there that makes that transition a lot easier. Because, you know, I live in San Francisco where there's like millionaires every three people that I meet. Um, so how, how do we make that purpose available to more people uh, would be a good idea. I love that. It's not only how you're painting amazing, beautiful future for others and carving the paths, but continue to support and to distribute the vault of knowledge 
and resources for future generations so that we have much more harmonious, more effective way of being living and as a result doing and creating more of phenomenal things as you do. Such a beautiful vision and such a beautiful heart. And I love, absolutely love your honesty and transparency and, and how you show up uh, from first day I met you. And I'm not surprised to see this tremendous results that you're creating right now in waves, because again, it's so powerful to see you as a woman daring stepping up and unconventionally disrupting and unpotologically disrupting the industries that are traditionally not only male dominated, but also in the same way, male thoughts uh, and ideas without really looking what possible alternatives are and then bringing that softness and, and different perspective and this beautiful dance that we as a result see uh, so many tremendous outcomes. So um, we're listeners and people that are watching and listening to this episode, where they can find more about your phenomenal work or get in touch with you? Where would you like them to go? Uh, sure. You you can see some of our work on, on our website. It's www.nonfiction.design. It's not .com, it's .design. Uh, nonfiction in one word. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So you can type in my name and find that. Uh, our uh, video series is called Future Future, and you can find that um, on YouTube. If you if you type in uh, Future Future Design, you will find it as well. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible to to be active out there, right? I do a lot of public speaking. Um, you know, I just came back from South by Southwest 2023, uh, which was pretty pretty incredible um, to be exposed to this like world stage and really getting to speak, you know, very nerdily uh, about all the crazy stories that we are creating with our clients at work and, and having uh, people from all over the world really receiving it uh, positively. So wherever you can find me in the world, um, speaking somewhere, uh, join me and, uh, and I'm, pretty, I'm pretty open. You know, I, I'm not the kind of person who like puts up a wall and, you know, thinks I'm important or whatever. No, it's, it's very easy to talk to me uh, and ask for advice or uh, get on a call. So, uh, and I like to keep it that way. That is so beautiful. Again, fully humble, down to earth and approachable, which is amazing because those are the most phenomenal leaders that we actually all uh, look up to and wanted to inspire by. Because if we're not approachable, if we're not visible, if we're not able to connect with people, um, then it completely takes away all the amazing work the companies are doing. And you are definitely doing so many things right. So again, kudos for your amazing achievements. And in closing, do you mind just sharing one thing for anybody watching and listening that is struggling to define their own purpose and goals or, or just simply not sure or not being bold and daring or whatever they might be experiencing that is holding them back? What would you suggest to turn their life around uh, with one uh, action or one thing that they could do differently to expedite that for them? So I, I teach creativity to um, police officers and first responders and people in the military and people like that uh, who uh, believe that they're not creative beings um, for, for whatever reason, education, society. 
And uh, one exercise that I have them go through that makes them usually fairly uncomfortable is, is Ikigai. So Ikigai is a uh, Japanese philosophy that overlaps what you love, what you're good at, uh, what the world needs, and what you can make money with. Um, so uh, create that, the, the, the Venn diagram with these four circles and start filling the gaps and start understanding who you are. You will probably not figure it out on day one, maybe not on day 30 and maybe not you know, 365, but really think about these four questions. What do I love? You know, what do I, what am I good at? What can I make money in? What, the, what does the world need? Because in the end, that's what you bring to your grave, right? Like what all, all of these stories that you build for yourself and that overlapping that create these, these relationships and these um, happenings in your life that people remember and that you remember, that's what's important, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there, there are many books and blogs about it. You can definitely read more about it, but Ikigai is definitely an exercise that I recommend for everyone. And leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.